0: Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 uh, is a letter from Paul talking to a young church that is doing some things really well, but is also very young, and they need guidance. And so for a number of weeks, we have been looking at what the implications of this passage are, how the early church understood themselves, and what it means for us today. And the reason that we are doing something that sounds so oddly inward is that if we get this right, if we learn what the church is actually called to be, then the church becomes one of the most beautiful forces of love and redemption and care on the face of the earth, okay? And, uh, and so um, we believe that what the early church understood as the people who were most directly connected to Jesus, only a generation removed, you know, connected, hand-taught by the disciples, um, that, uh, that they understood that everybody who became a part of the church had something to give. And so Paul wrote this letter and specifically mentions a number of gifts that Jesus has given his people, all right? To each one of us, uh, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, um, and this grace are, are gifts that Paul has talked about, that God's given everybody gifts, okay? And he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ might be built up, built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God's given us gifts that we as a community use to reflect the wholeness of Jesus. The idea is that we cannot do it alone. You can be Christ-like, but you're not the whole enchilada right? You can reflect areas of Jesus' heart, but you can never be the fullness of Jesus. The weird thing is, though, at least theoretically, the church actually can, which is a tall order. The church can attain to the fullness of Jesus. If we're all using our gifts together, we have a presence in the world that is not unlike Jesus' physical presence while he was on earth with people. And if that's a bit terrifying to you, I agree. I agree. But, but so, so here's the thing, at the same time, yes, so, um, so you can't do it on your own, but at the same time, uh, you can't buy into the opposite either, right? The church is something that, like, the professionals do for, the, for their congregations. Um, it just, it doesn't work, and I think sometimes we, we, we think that because on the outside it looks like it works, that maybe that means it's healthy. Um, you know what I was thinking about this week? Uh, the, the Field of Dreams quote, if you build it, they will come. You know, Field of Dreams is 32 years old now. Huh. Yeah, it's 32 years old, Field of Dreams. So if you don't know the movie, I'm not going to get too into it, but it's this whole story about this guy who kind of hears this voice, if you build it, they will come, and he builds this baseball field. It's super weird looking back on it, Right? Like, it's this weird storyline where, like, people appear out of the corn, and they play this baseball game, and they're famous old players and everything like that. But here's the premise, at least the premise that stuck with all of us, is literally that phrase, if you build it, they will come. And the church has bought into this, that if, if the, the paid professionals do their job and build something great, put on a great service, then people will come. And sometimes people do come. And sometimes people do come. But when they come, it's very much of a, take it or leave it, and I have no... St- no skin in the game, and it's also very consumeristic when they come. And so here's the thing. If you build it, they will come. First of all, it's not it doesn't work very well anymore. But second of all, it's just its baloney. Do you know what the truth is? The only truth is if you build it, you will come. That's the only truth out there. Sometimes if you build something, other people will show up. But I guarantee that if you are building something, you're going to be there, hammer in hand, right? And so, so when the church understands that, listen, if we, want to, if we want to show up, and if we want people to show up, and by showing up, I do not mean coming to a church gathering on a Sunday morning. I mean show up for one another. I mean show up to be the, the purpose and the presence of God in the world for redemption and for love and for compassion and justice. If we want people to show up, then we have to all say, then we are going to build it together. And that's exactly how we're designed. So, last week, um, as we kind of talked about how, how participation matters and God has wired us in all of these unique ways to contribute to the health of the body of Christ if we're looking to, uh, to Jesus. If we're looking to Jesus, that's really important. Otherwise, we'll go off the rails. But last week, we talked a lot about movement, about a church that's being willing to, to go out there, to look outwardly and to pioneer, right? And, uh, and so we looked at some of those... Um, we need people who are wired to help us get to new places. So, so we looked at what it means for people that are wired apostolically and prophetically and evangelistically, the out, out there, the, the pioneers. Um, but, uh, but we're going to use some new words because I, I know that freaks a bunch of you out to talk about apostles and stuff like that. So we were talking with our, our team a little bit this week, and, uh, and here's some, some updated language, all right, and the questions that they ask. So this is just a quick review from last week, all right? So apostolic people, for the sake of the kingdom, we might think of them as entrepreneurs for the kingdom. And if you don't like business language, believe me, I get it. I hate business language, but... An entrepreneur is somebody who has new ideas, and so they sense where is God stirring something new, and are we willing to, to take some risks to get there? So, their question that they hold before the church, and they get antsy if the church isn't asking this, they get like, ugh, you know, what's wrong with people that are stuck in the mud here? We're like, we got to listen. The question that they are asking is, are we awakened to what God is doing next? The prophetic types, the ones who have a, a unique propensity to hear the heart of God and God's call for integrity, we might call them. Um, artists and activists, because that's often how they express themselves, who have a deep heart for for prayer and and, and authentic worship and a deep heart for justice and for God's care for the poor. They're asking, are we hearing God's voice and responding to it? All right, and they help us be aware of blind spots that we might have or of where we're missing, uh, where we're not being people of integrity or where we're missing God's call. And then um, the Evangelist styles might be uh, the marketers and the storytellers, but, the, but in the right way, in the right way. Not selling false goods, but helping to help to, for people to understand how good news is actually good news and invite people to take the next step. And so their question is, are new people hearing, are new people hearing good news, experiencing good news, and entering into the kingdom? So, so we need those people that are out there, okay? We need those... Um, those, uh, those people calling us to embody each of those priorities, even if that's not what comes most naturally to you and I. As we look at the second half today, it's, uh, it's helpful to think about how God has wired, like I said a, m- a bunch of times, some of us to be pioneers and some of us to be developers. And, uh, and I, I don't like using the word settlers because of all of the connotations because settling feels like you're often settling for less than. There's, there's often... Um, <laughs> There's often all, a lot of colonialism that's embedded in the image of pioneers or of, of settlers that I'm not a big fan of, squatting on other people's land. Um, but, but there's also this image of, of the need for developing. How many of you remember the Oregon Trail game? That's going to be, there's a certain section of us, and some of you just stumbled on it, but the rest of us didn't stumble on it. We were given it because it was a part of the school curriculum from I want to say the late 80s all the way up to about 2000, it was like 14 years. Um, so anyways, in computer class somehow you play this game and, and this game is that you're on the Oregon Trail and there's this like, you know, the, the main image, right, is, is this kind of, uh, oh boy, here we go again. Mm. It does matter. It does matter, because like I mentioned last week, like, the, that, that looks like a good covered wagon. I'm just going to label it. Um, but my, my artist mom is actually here today with us, so I can't, I can't just, um, yeah, I can't get away from it. But that, that's actually, that's 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 fabulous. Okay, so anyways, so you know what happens, so, so your covered wagon goes and you have to stop and you press the little space bar if you want to shoot buffalo and you know how many pounds of food you have and every time you go a couple more miles, you lose some pounds of food and then somebody, you know, somebody uh, gets, you have to ford rivers or, and you have to know how deep the river was and all along the way you're learning how hard it is to, to be a pioneer, to go out and live and, and people die, right? The, the classic one is that people, you know, you have died of dysentery. And so we have to always at least include one of our favorite memes every, every time that we can. But this is my favorite meme based on that. You've died of dysentery. Um, but so, so here's the thing. If in the Oregon Trail, if, if in the real life, not the video game or computer game, in the real life, if, if all of the pioneers had only focused on... The fact that we need hunters to go out and hunt food and we need uh, people who know how to fix wagons and we need people who are willing to go months without using soap. But then they actually find the place that they are hoping to arrive at and they've never asked the question, does anyone know how to build houses? Does anyone know how to farm? Does anyone know how to teach our children math and English? If we didn't have that question answered, then what would happen is you would get a bunch of people who are willing to go and nobody who could actually do anything with it once you arrive. And so the church is in need of people calling us to go forward and to invite in in radical ways, but we need people when it works to help us make a healthy community as a result. You know? So so great, you have this heart for reaching out to people and you build all these bridges and then they come in and people have all sorts of brokenness like we all do, yeah? Like let's just be honest about that, like we all do. It's a big part of why many of us are a part of this church. We are kind of, you know, have dealt with some things that messed us up, right? And there's this desire to heal. But if we don't realize that that's going to be a part of the process then we miss one of God's callings, which is to, sh- to, to be shaped in the deep places within us. Not just to go and expand, but to grow and to be transformed into people of love and to care for one another. So that's why we get to these, all right? Um, so, so we have, we, we have to, to help each other experience this way of life that's worth uh, sharing. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is um, the calling. So, so we did, um, we did uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists. So this time, we're going to start with, um, with Paul's words about how God has wired us in, in the body of Christ, some to be pastors. And it's really interesting to talk about that because I have a word beside my job description that's very similar to that. And so what happens... Two things have happened in the church. Number one, when we hear the word pastor, we think that that's a profession, okay? Um, And number two, we label people pastors who actually aren't. Um, People that that lead churches, but they're not pastors. Um, They they have other gifts. And so, whoops, I just flung that too much. You guys, some of you were here when we learned that skill, right? Okay, okay. a way to keep markers fresh, unless you spin it too many times, in which case you end up with purple all over your hand. Okay, so pastor literally is a, an agrarian term, right? A pastoral um, experience or a pastoral image is one that looks out over fields. It's about cultivation and care, okay? And so, um, so when we think about a pastor, um, community and care are the big words that come up. Uh, in our minds, okay? And so, so when you think about community and care, pastors are people who just naturally are drawn to embody God's heart of compassion for other people. They are people who kind of live and die with 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love one another because love covers a multitude of sins, right? Like, like no matter what, we have to lead with love and care, which is certainly something that is above the whole church, but some people are just naturally drawn. That is what their heartbeat is, okay? And, and we need them to show us certain things about the kingdom of God. Um, they are the ones out there who you can be sad with better because they're willing to just sit with you. And so when you're sad, you, you, can, you can have a better sadness when you're present with them. They're also the people that when you're joyful, they increase it. Because they enter into it and they can multiply it with you. Um, They're the ones who you can be real with. Uh, And through this, they they guide us and remind us of how beloved every human being is. They help us be okay in our own skin. At their best. God has wired many, many people like this. But often people don't claim it because it's a job description. And so we have a bunch of you are are wired. And I know this because I've spent time with you as pastor types People who just long to give care and encouragement to other people. Um, Shepherds is often how, um, is is the same word uh, that that we get from the root. So so if you think about sheep, and this is where Jesus comes in, right? Because Jesus embodies the idea of shepherding, of caring, walking with long-term, tending to wounds, being a healer and a guide and a nourisher. Um, so, So Jesus... It's, it's, it's fascinating. Oh, one other thing is that uh, they help us learn to live vulnerably. They help us learn to live vulnerably because they have a knack for seeing the truth of how vulnerable we are anyways and loving us through it. Um, so they create that safety. I, I find it interesting that when I think about pastor, when I think about how Jesus embodied this, whoops, this call of being a pastor. I think about the the short little statement that we're given when Jesus is with the rich young ruler, and and the rich young ruler is asking him about experiencing eternal life, and the rich young ruler doesn't get it. He doesn't get it quite yet. But the first thing that we're told uh, in terms of the Jesus side of the interaction is that Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is not a detail that needed to be included, right? Like, just think about writing that. Think about Think about Mark writing down the details of the life of Jesus and he's writing about all these encounters and then he comes to that. And who knows how he gained this knowledge, whether it was divine inspiration, whether it was him asking Jesus later or whatever. But somehow he could sense that in Jesus' interaction with this guy, he just looked at him and loved him. There was a love that came to this total stranger from Jesus. Um, We're also told in Matthew that when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he looks at them as people who need care. He sees people, they need to be shepherded, they need to be cared for, right? And then, of course, he's more explicit in John. I am the good shepherd. He says two different things that are fascinating here Uh, in in his kind of expose on, on shepherding. He says, I am the good shepherd twice. The first time, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All right? And the second time, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So there is a core nature here of selfless care and relationship that the church is to learn through people who are wired in such a way. All right? Deep selfless care for others and a deep value of relationship. I know my sheep. There's knowledge and my sheep know me, hear my voice. Um, I, I think this is really, really interesting. Um, author uh, J.R. Woodward uh, writes about, um, and, and when, when I keep saying this, I know, I know your default because many of you see me as your pastor. Okay, so I know your default is that when I talk about pastor, the, the, the default is to think about someone who works at a church, okay? But I'm asking you to totally disconnect from that right now and just see it as one of the gifts that God has given his people that every church is full of, almost latent sometimes under the surface. The pastor types help the community have a realistic picture of community and understand that the community building process is filled with both pain and joy, If people come into a community expecting utopia, they will likely leave hurt, disappointed, and possibly never give it another attempt. Paul's letters are filled with the messiness of community. Community's messiness because it's a collection of imperfect people seeking to be transformed by God together. Anyone can love the ideal church. The challenge is to love the real church. Pastors, at their core, help the congregation do this. And he nicknames pastors as soul healers. Our nickname for today is going to be caregivers, okay? Um, but uh, so, so I want you just to think about all of that. So the question, the question that pastors put forth for the church is simple. Are God's people caring for and showing compassion to people? Are God's people caring for and showing compassion to people? As simple as that, all right? Um, You know one of the best ways to learn care for other people? Uh, This room. Do you know why? Or not this room, but being in connection with the people in this room and the people on Zoom and the people that are filling some of your homes for meal communities. Do you know why? Because you don't get to pick who comes. The church is one of the few places where people show up knowing that relationship is a part of the, the deal with people that they don't get to pick. And of course, we all do pick to some level. That's why you're here. You, you have chosen to journey with a, a church, um, or our church specifically. But, but when you do that, when you are, the, the way that we learn actual care for others is by being around people that we wouldn't naturally want to care for. That's how our faith that's how we learn if our faith has integrity or not. To say, do am I, am I learning to literally, because of Jesus, just deeply care for the person in front of me right now? To not write them off because they're different from me, because their life experiences are different, because they talk or act different than me. Am I willing to actually see somebody and say, I desire, I desire to love you in the way that Jesus loves me. I desire to live out a community of care. It's beautiful. If we create a church where we have each decided to actively care and have compassion for each other in this room, this this place will explode with healing and growth. And I don't mean growth numerically. I mean the deep type of growth, personal growth, because this place becomes a place where people can continue to journey in vulnerability with Jesus and in safety and in love. All right. Okay, moving on. Next up is our teachers. So pastors and teachers, that's the last type. This one's really weird, and here's why it's weird. is because it sounds super straightforward, right? Like, what does it mean for people to be wired to be teachers? Well, it means that they teach people, right? Um, But here's the thing. When you're talking about the kingdom of God, and when you're talking about how we often view teaching and information, uh, we have a disconnect. Because the kingdom of God is vastly different than how our worldly kingdoms kind of view view this. And so, here's what I mean. In God's kingdom, I'm sorry, in our world, when we think of teaching somebody, what we often think of is information uh, dump, right? You teach somebody by giving them new information. Really, really, really important. Um, That's a very Western view, that teaching and learning is based on information, Uh, An eastern view, which is where our scriptures come from, Um, a Jewish view, a Jesus view, is that information is only the gateway to formation. All right? You want to know another way to put this? I know you do. Come on. Come on. What's it going to be? Information becoming formation, becoming action in us, is another way to talk about, I'm going to give it away, the word becoming flesh. Right. So when God wires people to be teachers, it's not really about giving information, it's about helping the word become flesh. It's about helping embody what the kingdom is all about. And that blows the doors open because it's not just people who are able to stand up here and offer a lecture. What it is, is all sorts of people with all sorts of different gifts that have learned how to describe and embody the Jesus life in their own contexts. And we learn from them. Every time one of you stands up for story space and says, Jesus is shaping me in this way. We all learn a little more about formation We all learn a little more about what happens when the Word becomes flesh. This is why we need to be really careful that we don't think about the Scriptures and take flesh and turn it back into Word. Because the focus is always, as we engage with the Scriptures in really deep ways, and and this, this part of the church is always pushing us back to get deeper into the Scriptures for the purpose of drawing us to Jesus, for the purpose of the Word becoming flesh in us, just like the Word became flesh in Jesus. So, so the end game is that we look like Jesus, not just know more about Jesus, but that we've been transformed along the way. So, so um, there's so many opportunities here for us to, to um, learn that, that we can find other people around us and say, wow, I want to learn more from you about how you learn to engage with your." kid that has high anxiety and you have learned to pray and and patiently like show a different way of being patient than I've ever learned or I want to learn about how how you have been able to trust Jesus with this chronic illness that you have and and still find joy and this deep pain and wow like I see that in you can can we talk more about your journey that is where we learn to teach each other and so we have to be willing to share that but we also have to be willing to say is the word becoming flesh in my life and where? So some people lead the way in that and it comes more naturally and others of us, we have to, to ask those questions more intentionally. Um, but, uh, but, but we need people who can help us learn and live an embodied faith, not just give the facts because information will lead only if it's separated from this. It'll lead to Phariseeism. New Testament scholar uh, Tom Wright says the Bible is there to enable God's people to be equipped to do God's work in God's world, not give them an excuse to sit back smugly knowing they possess all of God's truth. Um, And so this deeply affects the the purpose of the scriptures. I love the psalmist's heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, so that I can what? Right, walk in your truth. It doesn't say so that I can know your truth. Yes, of course, there's knowledge there, but the end goal, the end result is I want to walk differently because of what I'm learning. And we need lots of walks, lots of gates, lots of of, of, um, styles of walking with Jesus so that we can continue to learn what the word becoming flesh looks like. Jesus embodied these um, in, in so many ways. He was a brilliant creative teacher, obviously. Listeners were astounded over and over by his power and authority, they said in the Gospels. But where he confirmed what he taught, right, became the moments of his life that matched the things he was talking about. What did people learn when Jesus called disciples who had already been rejected from their schooling and said, come follow me? What did people learn when Jesus sat and played with children after, after his disciples had shooed them away? What did they learn? How, how did they see something new in that light? What did people learn when Jesus was being murdered and looked on his accusers and his executioners, and prayed that God would forgive them. This is word becoming flesh. This is embodied faith. It's learning to live out these things that that teach us what the kingdom looks like. So more of you are teachers than you realize. Um, You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You have to know Jesus and continue to learn and then invite others to join you as you practice it. Um... There's so many types of learning, so many types of teaching. Um, so it's learning to live out these things that, uh, that teach us what the, kingdom, what the kingdom is all about. All five of these. Um, in a healthy church life, every act of loving kindness and faithfulness is a teaching moment. Right? Every single action like that. Um, so... Teachers naturally have this longing to just continue learning about God and themselves, so they throw themselves into the scriptures and into life with Jesus, and they say, hey, can you join me? And, you, and they end up rubbing off on others. Again, these callings are for everyone, and yet at the same time, some people are just wired naturally to kind of help explain things and help it become real-life change in, in us. So the question that they ask um, all the time to the church that they put forth. Whoops. Sorry. Oh, oh, I love this passage from Colossians too. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Okay? So again, there's the idea that you're teaching one another. That, er, that, there's, more, that there's more people going on than just the one or two that are named here and there. Okay? That it was a constant practice of learning from one another. Beautiful. Um, so the question that they ask is, are we learning the word, and is it becoming flesh? And by word, we know that, um, that the scriptures are the word of God that point to the ultimate word of God, Jesus, right? And if we don't get that order right, Jesus tells us we've missed the point. Very important. Jesus says, you look at the scriptures, they're pointing to me, but you keep looking at the scriptures thinking that that's where you're going to figure everything out, but it's going to be in, in the person of me that, that unlocks everything. Okay, um, Yes, so we saw these first three questions that we mentioned. So caregivers and coaches. I like the idea of coaches because a coach um, a coach doesn't just want to give people information. She wants to give people um, something that they can all of a sudden put into practice to do better when it's game time. right? And so, so it's really, oh, sorry, this is uh, horribly, we had to use a fake light setting because the lights wouldn't turn on. So let me put it in the center there. Um, so, so, the question is constantly, are God's people learning the word and is it becoming flesh? Right? Constantly. Are they learning to put into practice? And are we making sure that we're digging deep, learning new things and then applying them? So, we need all of these things. Just look at what happens. Just look at what happens when it all comes together. When we have a church where we are asking about these priorities, are people awakened to what God is doing next? Are we hearing God's voice for justice and integrity and responding to it? Are new people hearing good news and entering the kingdom? Are God's people caring for one another and showing compassion? And are we learning the word and is it becoming flesh? Just think about the life and the vibrancy that emerges in a church there. Here's the kind of health that would be um, created, right? Entrepreneurs help us create this thriving environment where there's a lot of life because there's always something new that we're sensing and coming. A liberating environment comes from the the artists and the activists that set us free from chains of of both um, sin by reminding us of the beauty of God's grace, but also of our own broken human systems that are in need of justice. The marketers, (laughs) they create a welcoming environment. That's the storytellers that say, come, live out a better story with us. They create this environment that says anybody can come and take the next step. Please join us. The caregivers create this healing environment, and coaches create a learning environment, but a holistic learning environment. So there's a lot of of beauty there. I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Reflect on which area you just really want to make sure our community gets right. When you look back at these things, um, which is the area to say, man, I just don't want us to get this one wrong. I just, I want us to get this right so much. It's so important. That's probably a, a glimpse into how your core is wired by God. Um, and I'm not sure how helpful it is to do a bunch of typology with this, but, but it's certainly helpful for us to reflect how might God have been wiring me to be a contributor to the life of the body of Christ. And when we get it right, you'll find so much life in there. Uh, so take a moment. You know, maybe you need to help us take a new step in pioneering in some new ways. Maybe you need to take a new step in helping us develop in the deep places of our, of our community um, to help us look like Jesus and to make a, an alternative society within life path that looks like God's kingdom.